guy doesn't want to work. So there we go. (laughs) This morning we're taking a quick break from our series on Philippians to explore the passage that goes with today's celebration of Pentecost. Let's see, that needs to be with him for this. I messed up the order. So can you take that back then? Yeah, thanks. You know what I'm talking about, right? She does. She knows what I'm talking about. So we're heading back to the book of Acts this morning, where we spent a few weeks considering how we can be the church in the world now. You remember that? We did several weeks in Acts. Paul's call, Paul in Athens, right? Paul in um, Philippi. Yeah. So all of these great stories that we heard a few weeks ago were sparked by the story that we're going to hear this morning. It's the story of when the followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Oh, Spirit, where's my blower? Right. I don't know where I put it somewhere. (laughs) So I want to unpack this together this morning, because here in this congregation, we have a wide range of Christian beliefs and practices. And I know that there are people in this room who speak in tongues as part of their regular spiritual practice. And I know that there are people in this room who'd be totally freaked out by that. And I know that there are people in this room who are open to God moving in their lives, but they just don't understand what this particular thing is about. So this morning, I want to explain what I think is happening in this passage and how it relates to living out the gospel in Delaware in 2018. So to set the stage a little bit, the book of Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. They're a two-part story. They got split up in the order of our Bible, but they really go together. And at the point of transition between the books, Jesus ascends to heaven and instructs his followers to wait in Jerusalem, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes! So jealous of that. Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, remember that, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And so that's exactly what they do. They keep meeting and praying together, and they wait. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a wild wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked. Are not all of those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to 
other sneered and said, ah, they're filled with new wine. <laughs> but Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, ooh, sorry. <laughs> and all who live in Jerusalem, listen to what I say. And he appeared not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> now this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs of the earth below blood and fire and smokiness. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. And now, uh, are we going to do it or are we going to just skip it? Yeah, uh, so this is youth moment. Oh, we got him in the back. Awesome. Then we invite the young people who are here to go ahead and come on forward for a youth moment with Miss Mary. You coming, Shiloh girl? Yeah. Just come forward and sit on the front row. You can come with Mama. That's great. is about. Pentecost is about rowdiness when the spirit comes. Pentecost is a day of power. 
That's what Jesus promises the disciples in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Greek word there is dynamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. That's the kind of power. It's the same word used in Acts, or in Luke, which is, remember, Acts, the prequel, in Luke, to describe Jesus when he returns from being tempted in the desert. The Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit. And then he goes almost immediately to his hometown synagogue, where he reads from a scroll that says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Does that language sound familiar? Pentecost is the day when the church receives the same spirit and power that was in Christ Jesus. And that power launches the church out into the world in a totally new way, which is why we call this holiday the birthday of the church, which is why we have red velvet Pentecost cupcakes back there for the church's birthday after service. Right, which sounds awesome, but there's weird stuff here, so let's talk about speaking in tongues, shall we? First, I should tell you, I spent most of my life in a Pentecostal denomination, and I speak in tongues. But no, I cannot do it for you on command right now in the middle of the service. Now, I know that this is not a typical experience for people in most UCC churches or in other denominations that you grew up in, so I thought it would be helpful if we just unpack this idea a little bit together this morning. As I told you in the introduction, Pentecost was a Jewish festival before it was the birthday of the church. It happened 50 days, Penta, 50 days after Passover. And it commemorated God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. And then once the people settled down in the land and became farmers, it becomes a celebration of the first harvest in the spring, the first fruits. So on this holy day, all the followers of Jesus were together. Acts chapter 1 says there's about 120 of them at this point. And whatever you may have imagined about this moment in the past, please now imagine this crowd as a mixed group of men and women. And the scripture's a little bit ambiguous about where they are. One possibility that I like personally is that they were in the outer courts of the temple. Because in that space, there would have been enough room for 120 people to be gathered. And there would have been a lot of other Jews gathered around for the holy day, which works with the story. I also think it's a better image than all of them hiding out somewhere. Because although Jesus told them to wait, he did not tell them to go wait in secret and cower behind closed doors. He just told them to wait and pray. They had seen the resurrection. They weren't necessarily hiding out. So they're all together, men and women, and suddenly, from heaven, a sound like a hurricane wind fills the whole house, or temple, we're not sure. And divided tongues of fire appear, and literally the word is sit on each individual person. And each individual person is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to speak in other, in other tongues that the Spirit is giving them to utter forth. 
So what's clear from the language is that each person, each disciple in this moment, is speaking a language that is not one that they know, and that is being given to them by God's spirit slash breath slash wind. Now the word tongues there literally means your actual tongue, and it also means a language, and it also means a nation as distinguished by a language. So the tongues of fire correspond with the disciples' physical tongues speaking in other tongues, which attracts people from other tongues. See how he's playing with that word the whole way through? Now that's why I think they were at the temple. Because the disciples are quickly surrounded by a crowd of Jews who live in Jerusalem, but come from other places. They weren't visiting, they lived there. And the miracle here is not only in the tongues, but the miracle is also in the ears. Because the original text distinctly says that each individual listener heard all of the disciples speaking about the magnificence of God in his or her native dialect. Right? So they live in Jerusalem. So I'm from Egypt, but I live in Jerusalem. I hear this noise. I come. And there's a whole group of people, and I hear them all together in unison speaking my language. So each disciple is apparently speaking something different. But each listener is hearing the whole group in his or her own language. Astonishing, right? I mean, that would be incredible. And then, we didn't read the whole way through Peter's sermon, but Peter finishes that sermon, and it leads to 3,000 people becoming followers of Jesus. Now, if they started with 120, that's a growth rate of 2,500% in one day, which is a problem that I would love for us to have here. (laughs) So here's the key. Speaking in tongues, as described in the book of Acts, and in the movement that happened in the U.S. at the turn of the 20th century, is always about two things. When speaking in tongues happens, it's about two things. It's about boldness, and it's about inclusion. First, it's about receiving a new sense of boldness when it comes to living out the gospel. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about confidence. I'm talking about comfortable in your own skin, excited about your experience of Jesus Christ, and able to speak authentically and powerfully about it. The historic Christian word for that is testimony. In the Greek, it's martyria. The martyrs were testifiers. When we are filled with the Spirit, we live and speak authentically about our allegiance to Jesus as Lord. So in Acts chapter 4, when the church starts to experience persecution, when they start to get some pushback because the world does not like boldness and inclusion, the world is not interested in that, so they get pushback. And when they start to experience that, they gather together and they specifically ask God for the ability to speak with boldness. 
And the Bible says, quote, when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is about boldness. Secondly, speaking in tongues is evidence that former outsiders are now insiders. In Acts chapter 8, Samaritans, you'll be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria, Samaritans begin speaking in tongues, and the Jews are like, what? (laughs) Because remember, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans, because because even though they worshipped God, the Samaritans also worshipped God, but they didn't have the right bloodlines, So we got a racial issue here. And they didn't worship in the right place. So we have a disagreement about liturgy here. So when the Samaritans start speaking in tongues, the Jews are like, well, we know what that experience means because we've had it. So I guess these people are in too. And if that wasn't crazy enough, in Acts chapter 10, a group of Gentiles starts speaking in tongues, which totally forever messes up the boundaries. Because if the Gentiles are in, then everybody's in, and then we have to find a way to live together. The Holy Spirit comes to demonstrate to us that all our barriers are cracked. The Bible says, in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, no slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, and you can add whatever other categories you want in there, for Christ is all and in all. Amen. Speaking in tongues is not magic that makes the boldness happen. It's not that you can't be bold if you haven't had this experience. But according to our sacred text and according to our tradition, there is something in this experience. It's a confirmation to the speaker that he or she has been filled with the Holy Spirit in a particular way. And when you know that, you feel more bold. It's like finding money in your pocket, right? Once you know you have it, then you're going to spend it. And speaking in tongues is not magic that breaks down barriers. It is confirmation to us that the barriers were only in our imagination to begin with. It is a sign of unity to us. We needed the sign. And if you, uh, you're not somehow less than if you've never had this experience. Because part of the message of the gospel is that no one is worth less than anyone else for any reason, anywhere, ever. So it would be totally ridiculous, and I think it is ridiculous, for churches to use this as some kind of measuring stick. Have you been filled with the Spirit or not? No? Okay, you're, you have to sit over there. That's ridiculous, friends. It's anti-gospel. My former pastor told me years ago that the word for filled here... Um, is, is not the word that we use when we're filling an empty cup. It's the word used when wind fills a sail. 
The sail is not lacking before the wind fills it. The sail is as much of a sail as it's ever going to be. But when the wind fills it, it can do more of what it was designed to do. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. You're not lacking something. There's just an opportunity to do more of what you're designed to do. So being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, helps us do what we were designed to do, which is to share the amazing news of God's unconditional love, unstoppable justice, and universal salvation with every single person we meet. And in all seriousness, if you're interested in exploring this spiritual discipline, I would be happy to talk with you and pray with you about it. So why do some Christians feel so uncomfortable with this idea? I'll tell you what I suspect, because it was my experience. I suspect that our discomfort with this is about um, control and respectability. Like I said before prayers of the people, in church, we follow a script. In fact, you don't get the opportunity to say anything, much of anything, except for prayers of the people, when we're together on Sunday morning, unless it's scripted for you. Right? Even I speak from a script, which is fine. Okay, let me say that. I'm not trying to throw the script out the window. Orderly worship is good. Having a plan is good. Knowing what, planning to do something together and then carrying it out is good for us. But I think it's possible that it also develops in us an unconscious expectation that our experience of God is always going to be scripted. And so many of us are uncomfortable with anything that doesn't fit in our one hour and 15 minute pre-planned liturgy, which I help to plan and love. Okay? We're uncomfortable with spiritual things that we haven't experienced before. That's natural. And so that's, friends, this morning, why I invited you to wear party hats and to blow blowers for the spirit. Why we changed our worship decorations. Because in order for new things to happen among us, we have to be shaken out of some of our old routines. And friends, I just want to tell you that God's best work is done off script. Off of our script. Off of our script does not mean off of God's script. Because the resurrection was totally off of our script. Okay? Nobody rises from the dead. And in fact, Jesus basically lived off script. He was messing with people's expectations all the time. And if we are going to light this world up for love and justice, we are going to have to go off the world's script. We are going to have to do some things together that seem risky. Part of the reason that we come together for worship is to get some training. So this morning, we're just getting a little bit uncomfortable with being off script. 
The reason that we practice silence together and the reason that we have a time of reflection after the sermon is to make some space for God to go off our scripts. Like the disciples, we have to wait. We have to make room. We have to shove the furniture aside and make some room for God to move in us and among us so that we can move boldly with dynamite power in the world because we have nothing to fear. Amen. So as Brian comes back to the piano, let's let's spend a few moments in reflection. You might want to close your eyes or put your feet flat on the floor. You might need to move around a little bit. You might need to actually move your body to remind yourself that God can move off your script. Let's invite God to go off our script this morning. If you're feeling tired or bored, then you might want to ask God for some new boldness. You may need to ask God to break down some barriers that are keeping you separate from the people you think are wrong. You may want to ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. Remember that God is never off of God's script. So whatever you're feeling or experiencing, you are always safe, safely held by God. So come, Holy Spirit. Now I'll say a closing prayer. Holy Spirit, fill us. Refresh us, embolden us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Amen.